0: Two, verses 1 through 12 awake awake put on your strength O Zion put on your beautiful garments O Jerusalem the holy city for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you shake yourself from the dust arise Sit down, O Jerusalem, loosen yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them, make them wail, says the Lord. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks behold it is I how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who proclaims peace who brings glad tidings of good things who proclaims salvation who says to Zion your God reigns your watchman "...shall lift up their voices, with their voices they shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm." In the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out with haste nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Our Lord, this day, we have already experienced a measure of it. Everyone who has been redeemed knows that you are the one who intervened. You are the one who who aggressively delivered us from our deserved judgment. You delivered us from mourning to praise. Our Lord, we thank you for that day to come when every one of your people will will abide in your presence Restrain gladness that is the ultimate gospel promise We are asking that today In our time together you will show us The measure Of your mercy And also of your wisdom in your ways In this world this hostile environment We ask that we would leave here today knowing better what you are in all of your wisdom and power. In your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our Lord has been shepherding us through the Holy Spirit's letter to the Romans. Uh, his personal secretary is that fellow we know as the Apostle Paul, but is truly penned by the Holy Spirit. And the book of Romans is a, well, I would dare say that in the gospel accounts or in the New Testament, it could be said to be uh, Paul's systematic theology. <laughs> and I mean, Romans and Ephesians in particular I think were basic seminars uh, of the Apostle Paul that he's penned down for us for future generations to understand. But one of the things, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are all addressing a large issue. A large issue in the church, in the entire Mediterranean Roman world of Paul's day. And that is an issue of... Why isn't, why is it that the that the nation of Israel, the Jewish ethnic population as a whole, haven't stepped forward and embraced, if this fellow Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Messiah, if he is indeed the Redeemer, if he is indeed the one who paid sin's penalty for all, if he is indeed the one who has bestowed God the Holy Spirit upon his people, why hasn't the Jewish culture, the Jewish leadership stepped forward and embraced him. Answer that Paul refers to, that in fact we see in the gospel accounts, and if you read the history of Israel through the Old Testament, the answer is they never do. They never do. If you read the history of Israel from the time of the Exodus through the gospel accounts and into the book of Acts, you find a very, very, very small percentage of the time where you could say that the culture has really stepped forward and embraced God's work and God's ways and God's agenda and said, yes, we will walk in obedience to God's plan." Very rare, very rare. One of the statements that Paul will be quoting here in this passage we'll be looking at, he actually quotes a statement from Deuteronomy 32. Okay, I'm going to ask you, we may in some future time actually spend some time in Deuteronomy 32 on a Sunday morning, but I would encourage you to read that chapter, Deuteronomy 32, on your own, carefully carefully, and i can tell you something right now if you have any knowledge of god's ways and god it is a shocking 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 chapter deuteronomy 32 is in fact called a song of moses moses it is thus says the lord the lord is speaking through moses He is standing before that generation that is about to go in under the leadership of Joshua and conquer the promised land. And it is a chapter, a statement, a thus says the Lord, that is a gigantic rebuke to Israel as a nation. These these people have just finished 40 years in the wilderness. 38 of those years were only they were only in the wilderness for one purpose, to let the previous generation die off because they were so rebellious. And now here is the children about to go in under the human leadership of Joshua, but actually the leadership of their mighty God. And Moses stands, and what's so surprising is these people You would think it would be words of nothing but encouragement and instead is a statement of utter rebuke. But it is not just for them. It is for every generation that would follow. And one of the statements, it is the chapter where for the first time, God says to Israel, I am your father. I fathered you. It's only like half a dozen more times in the entire Old Testament that you find the people of Israel referring to God as their father. Why? Because they've blown it so bad they've got nothing else they can cling to. I am your father. I fathered you. I am your rock. It is the first time in the Hebrew Scriptures where God refers to himself as their rock. And that is an incessant thing that they refer to in their following history. God is our rock. God is our rock. Yes, he is. But you have walked in rebellion and rebellion and rebellion. And he actually says, if it weren't for the fact that the Gentile nations, in your complete destruction, would give themselves the credit for your destruction, I'd let them do it. But I can't let those guys give themselves the credit for your destruction when I did it. So I got to save you. (laughs) I can't let them embrace that wrong conception. No, I'm, I'm stuck with having to save you people. That's pretty thin ice. That's pretty thin ice. But one of the statements that is made in Deuteronomy 32 is, I am going to. I have promised you people outrageous blessing that you will walk away from and walk away from and walk away from and walk away from and and you are going to watch me and Paul's going to quote this statement here in Romans. You're going to watch me pour out this spirit of abundance and blessing on this other people group. On these other people outside of Israel And you will be obsessed with jealousy. Here is our God blessing those people instead of us. I'm going to, you are going to be so jealous. What has been the history of Israel and the church since the day of Pentecost when God started? the birthday of the church, and here God starts pouring the blessing out. The day of Pentecost, there are people there from all these nations. Some of them are Jews, some of them are God-fearers, or Gentiles who are fearing the God of Abraham. They're there on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, and they start speaking of the mighty works of God in the languages of the places they came from. And then the gospel explodes from there and goes throughout. And here, this letter to the Romans. And in fact, many of the nations and origins of these people are li- listed, including Rome. Jews and Gentiles, God-fearing Gentiles, who were there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And there are some of the readers of this Paul's letter and so Romans 9, 10, and 11 is addressing this issue. Why is it that Israel as a whole, as a whole, as a people group, haven't embraced Jesus of Nazareth? Because they never were going to. They never have embraced. Remember the words of Jesus speaking to the Jewish leadership? Which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? They killed the prophets. That came to them. That God sent to them. Is it a surprise. They would then engineer the murder. Literally judicial murder. Of Messiah himself. Did they not know. He was Messiah. Yes they did know. They had every proof. That he was the Messiah. And they engineered his murder. Because he was a threat. To their literal. (laughs) Criminal enterprise. Paul is addressing in Romans 9, 10, and 11 this large issue. Now, we say to ourselves, perhaps today, well, that's interesting. Can, it, let's, can we move right along? No! Let's stop and stand with our Lord, stand shoulder to shoulder with him as he lays out his ways before us. Because we see God's ways of wisdom and insight and power. If you've ever shared the gospel, I've had the opportunity and I've taken the advantage of the opportunity. You share the gospel with a Jewish person? Let me tell you about your Messiah. They don't like it. But they also don't like the fact that you can say it. That you can authentically say. And do they know you know, just yesterday, most of you people know who Dennis Prager is. Dennis Prager is an Orthodox Jew. He is a very, very, very strong conservative. Prager, University, I mean, he's got all this presence on the internet, all this, I mean, great, great, great stuff. And I just saw an interview of him yesterday in which he said, I am not a Christian. I do not believe that the New Testament is inspired. And I heard those words and I said, you are a bald-faced liar. You know, Dennis Prager, you know that the New Testament is as inspired as the Old Testament. You just don't like what it says. That's the truth. And I keep pointing out this in the Gospel of John, such a shocking thing. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Bethany is his home. It's a suburb of Jerusalem. All of the Jewish leaders know Lazarus. He's a wealthy man. They all know each other. Many of the Jewish leaders are there. When Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb, many of them believed. They embraced Jesus as the Messiah, but others ran to the Jewish leadership immediately and said, now we've got a real problem. Because Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. And it literally says this in John 12. Caiaphas the high priest says. Then we have to kill Lazarus. We must murder Lazarus. Because he's too big a proof for Jesus. Is that man interested. In following the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Not one bit. That's the environment. Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, rose out of. He was a primary persecutor of the church that the Lord completely flipped. And he's laying out this reality. Last week, we, were in, we covered chapter 9 of Romans. We're, we're stepping down now into chapter 10, verse 1. I know that's a long introduction, but it actually is going to save us time, Lord willing. Brethren. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. I'm not a Jew-hating Jew. I love my people. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. This is the former Pharisee. Was he zealous for God, the God as he understood him? Yes, he was. So much so that he was the tip of the spear in the persecution of the church. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, three-quarters of your Bible, folks, is the Hebrew Scriptures. Does it talk about God's righteousness? Absolutely. But is Israel as a nation, their leadership in particular, walking in that righteousness? No, they are not. No, they are not. They are hyper-religious, but they are not righteous. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount to a large crowd? I've not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, not one part of the law will be lost. Every jot and tittle, the smallest letter and smallest part of the letter will all be fulfilled. I've come to fulfill the law. Oh, by the way, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're going to hell. You better have better than Pharisee righteousness. And that was a shock to them because that's what the Pharisees were renowned for, is their righteousness in all of these little laws and rules. And Jesus says that'll only get you to hell. How to? That's Jesus' lit lesson on how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> okay. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness and is seeking to establish their own righteousness, and this is the former Pharisee speaking, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end from the of the law. For righteousness, that format of, if I just keep the Ten Commandments with perfection, God will welcome me. Hey, that never works. Because you can't do it. You can't do it. You shall not covet your neighbor's life, wife, stuff. Oh, ouch. Never mind. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ solved the problem That the law showed us we had. The purpose of the law was to show me my need. Not to fix the need. Jesus solved the need. And the Jewish population, that religious culture says, we don't need this Jesus guy. We don't need this this Redeemer guy. We got it covered. And the God to whom they will answer says, no, you don't. I sent my son to be your Redeemer because you needed him. There was no other way. And they haven't submitted to that. Christ is the end of that format of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Go from being a doer to a believer, a faither. I transfer my faith from my own works to the work of Jesus on the cross. Go with that format. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, The man who does these things shall live by them. Oh, which also means if you don't do them, you're going to die by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? If you have the idea of, I can keep the law and find a way to heaven? No, 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 no. It's going to plunge you into hell. Do not say in your heart. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Oh, yeah, come on down here, Jesus. Let's have fun together. No. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Can we do Jesus' job for him? No, we can't. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Here is the promise of God. You trust in the promise of God, and he fulfills that promise. He keeps that promise to you, and you find a welcome in his presence. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved and as we've noted earlier going through Romans the two giant issues in chapters 1 through 8 especially are I have two nasty truths I know about myself number one I am a sinner I stand condemned before God number two I am sinful ouch I'm sinful I stand condemned and I am sinful the solution To my standing of condemnation is faith in the work of Christ. And the solution word, Paul, is very consistent in Romans. The solution word is justification. I move from a standing of condemnation to a standing of justification. I now stand in righteousness before the righteous God. Because Jesus paid my sin debt on the cross. In the earlier thing by... Brandon, he mentioned the word propitiation. Propitiation means satisfaction. Jesus satisfied the demands of the law, both in his walk of righteousness, <clears throat> but he went beyond to the cross as the Lamb of God, taking the justice that I deserved in the lake of fire forever. All of that lake of fire experience was poured out on him. So that his father could say the demands of the law have been satisfied. I, the holy God, now have perfect freedom to forgive you. Because the demands of righteousness have been satisfied. Justification is the solution word to my condemnation problem before God. The word salvation is the solution word to my sinfulness problem. And the content that Paul has already described in Romans is twofold. Number one, he has granted to me the Holy Spirit to dwell within me. So that the energizing power of God is a resource for me to walk in him in a way that I never could otherwise. I've got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Plus, when I speak out, when I confess Christ before my community, All of heaven's resources are poured out on my behalf. Jesus steps into his role of speaking for me as my high priest, as my mediator in heaven. Jesus says this to the apostles in Matthew chapter 10. When he says to them, and it is to his disciples, If you, my disciples, will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. If you, my disciples... Do not confess me before men. I will not confess you before my Father. Let me ask you a question. Do you want Jesus interceding for you? I do. We have all of heaven's resources available. Those are the two things that Paul points to. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit and Jesus interceding for me in heaven's courts. And so that's why he said, and he summarizes that with these two verses, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will see sin's power broken in your life. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, has faith unto justification, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That verse summarizes everything that Paul has said up to that point. For this scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, either in heaven's courts or here. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Quoting from the Hebrew scriptures, Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. No, excuse me, Joel 2.32. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not been? Paul is now returning to his issue of why has Israel, as a culture, as an ethnic group, why why has the Jewish population not turned to Jesus and embraced him? Now, a large segment did. A large segment did. I don't know where they get it from, but Jews for Jesus, I heard years ago make the statement that until about 180 A.D., the majority of Christians on the planet were ethnic Jews. There was a massive turning to Jesus in the Jewish population, but there was also a definite split between them, those who were professing Christ and those who did not. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? All these things have to be in place in order for the gospel to advance through any culture. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. There has to be a messenger to advance the message. There has to be a messenger to advance the message. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, 600, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Isaiah is saying of the culture of his day, Lord, who has believed our report? By the way, Isaiah would be murdered. Which of the prophets did your fathers not murder? Well, that included Isaiah. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. They heard from Isaiah, they heard from Jeremiah, they heard from Elijah, they heard from Ezekiel, they heard from all of these prophets, they heard from all of these spokesmen. In the synagogues, typically, the rabbi would stand and read out of the Hebrew Scriptures. Have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, and this is the passage from Deuteronomy 32 that I was speaking of before. I will, thus says the Lord, I will provoke you to jealousy, you, Israel, to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Why in the world should we pay any attention to those knucklehead Gentiles? Because those knucklehead Gentiles, had Gentiles have received the redeeming work of Jesus Christ they're just messengers it's not their message it's God's message and yet what is the response why should we listen to them I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation I will move you to anger by a foolish nation but Isaiah is very bold and says I was found by those who did not seek me, I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Suddenly, God's spokesman showed up in places like Greece and Italy and Spain. I mean, Paul himself is going to make it eventually to Spain. Andrew is going to make it all the way up to Ukraine. Thomas is going to make it to India. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Generation after generation after generation after generation had God's messengers come to them and come to them and come to them and come to them. And And they rejected and rejected and rejected, and rejected. It was a very rare thing that the Jewish leadership and the people as a whole actually embraced God's messenger. So their treatment of Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son come in the flesh, really was not a surprise. I say then, has God cast away his people? The people of Israel? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, whom he foreknew, whom he foreknew. God had chosen out of that nation. And he drew those people. He called them, he called them, he called them. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord. By the way, Elijah was a prophet from the ten northern tribes. When Solomon's son Rehoboam became king, he did some knucklehead things. Which God forewarned Solomon and said this is going to happen. He did some knucklehead things that caused the ten northern tribes to pull away from him. And they chose as the, as the guy, as their king. Now, Rehoboam was still king of, of Judah and Benjamin. But for the ten northern tribes, they selected a man named Jeroboam. And the very first thing Jeroboam did, because he was afraid if the people keep going to Jerusalem to worship, Rehoboam will win their hearts back, so I've got to establish worship here. And he started golden calf worship. In Israel, the ten northern tribes. And they never knew a day in their history where they were following the Lord. And Elijah the prophet was raised up by God, this sheep herder. And God used him in a mighty way. And there was this point where well into his ministry, he is all by himself. He is in isolation. And he cries out to God, O Lord. What is the point? I alone in all of the ten northern tribes, I alone have been loyal and faithful to you. And God says, "Uh, No, that's not quite true, Elijah. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying... Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? Oh, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 men in those 10 northern tribes. Now, that's not a giant number. When you consider the population as a whole. But this is 7,000 men that Elijah didn't even know were there. I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant among the Jewish population. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Grace and works don't go together. They're in isolation. you either a, a person of grace or you're a person of works. If you try to blend them, all you do is drain the, the life out of the grace. If by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Well, Israel, the culture that, Paul was raised in, that Saul of Tarsus was raised in, was the, was the works orientation. Works, 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 legalism, legalism, legalism. law keeping, law keeping, law keeping, and it was failure after failure after failure, but we're not giving up. How many times do you have to fail before you go back to God and say, okay, Lord, you got another method? Well, yeah, it's called faith. I've done the work. All you have to do is accept the benefit. What then, is Israel not obtained what it seeks? But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Blinded. Look at the massive number of miracles that Jesus did. Thousands. And they turned a blind eye and a blind eye and a blind eye because the message that was attached was not what they wanted to hear. Humble yourselves before the holy God and ask for mercy. Oh, we don't need mercy. We've got our religiosity. Surely, God, you are truly impressed by our law-keeping. And God's going, oh, no, I'm really not impressed by your (laughs) law-keeping. No. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Why? Because they didn't want to see and they didn't want to hear. He actually gave them what they asked for. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see. And bow down their backs always David himself had experienced rejection after each how many years did he spend running around in the wilderness because Saul and those who were beside Saul refused to accept the testimony that David was the replacement for Saul they sought instead to kill David just like they would later kill his greater son Jesus. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Is this the final word on them? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, God has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. And as I noted before, you want to really hack off a, a, a Jewish, really Jewish Jew? Go up to them, Mr. or Miss Gentile, and say, let me tell you about your Messiah and what he's done. Because I've received the benefit of what your Messiah did. Why don't you give it a try? It provokes them to jealousy. To provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And some of those Jewish people who respond with anger, as did Saul of Tarsus, will be given a spirit of repentance and allow that redeemer to embrace them and they will receive the benefit I said say then have they stumbled that they should fall is this a final thing certainly not but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy salvation is come to the Gentiles now if their fall is riches for the world the gospel is exploded around the planet why you know this is so strange. What caused the explosion of the gospel to, f- to leave Jerusalem? Day of Pentecost, you go back and read in the book of Acts. God the Holy Spirit has poured out. All these people receive And a whole lot of those people extended their stay in Jerusalem. And the gospel is exploding there, and they are staying there so they can receive further instruction from the apostles and their companions, and then Stephen is stoned to death. And then those people scatter, and there's a gospel explosion through the Roman world. Do you think that actually wanted to take place? I don't think so. Think that is what the rebellious Jewish leadership was seeking, an explosion? No, but God is a God of superior strategy. We are seeing the wisdom of God in the same way that he uses Jews, excuse me, uses believing Gentiles to create, to gain the attention of Jews so they will hear the gospel redemption message. He is actually using the Jewish persecution to cause a gospel explosion. Well, if we can't find a friendly reception here in Jerusalem, we'll just take it to India. We'll take it to the Ukraine. We'll take it to Scotland. I don't know how Andrew became the patron saint of Scotland. Can you explain that to me? I don't know. I don't think he ever made it that far. He did make it to Ukraine, though. That's quite a ways. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentile, how much more their fullness. You know, the day is coming and we find this in both the Hebrew Scriptures and in the in the Olivet Discourse of our Lord, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Book of Revelation. That day is coming when Israel will embrace the gospel message. That day is coming. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? It won't just be a blessing on Israel in that day to come, but it will be a blessing that overflows to the rest of the nations. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Hey, I'm actually walking in step with God's plan. I magnify my ministry if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. You know, as I am preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and as Gentiles embracing it, some of it is overflowing to the Jewish population. I'm for that. I'm for that, says Paul. For if by their being cast, for if their being cast away is reconciling, reconciling of the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And that, in fact, is what will take place in that day to come at the second coming of Jesus Christ when they allow the Redeemer to embrace them and, and they embrace him back and it will be a, a great turning in the world to our Lord Jesus Christ. For if the first fruits is holy... The lump is also holy. By the way, what's he going on? What's this about? In Israel, when you harvested grapes from your vineyard or grain from your fields or sheep from your flocks or your goats or or your cattle, the first fruits were to be taken to the tabernacle or later the temple, And to be handed over to the Levites. They were the first fruits. That is what the tribe of Levi survived on. Was the first fruits. The first 10% of the harvest of all the other tribes. And if you don't bring that offering to God. As God has instructed you. Your whole harvest is cursed. But if you bring that 10%. Then God says I am blessing your harvest. Of from the flocks and the herds and the, and the vineyards and the fields. But here is a principle. For if the first fruits is holy, this first fruits of this pe- the pe- these people, these Gentiles being harvested, these, these people being harvested, then the rest is holy. This is God's strategy. God is at work here. Giving to the Jews a motivation to turn to Him as the Redeemer they had never had before. For if the first fruits is holy, the lump is also holy, the entire nation and all the nations. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and here is the idea of a large tree that is bearing fruit. And it is a very, very fruitful tree, and it's all. But all the virtue of this reality comes from the roots in the in the trunk. And Paul is he's taking that imagery, and he's saying the native branches on this tree of redemption is Israel. They're the ones who were to bear fruit to this in this redeeming work of God, but they didn't bear fruit for if the first fruits is holy the lump is also holy and if the root is holy so are the branches and if some of the branches were broken off at the, what's happening on the day of pentecost when the holy spirit has got if if you have uh, ears like the ears of god you could hear the as god was breaking israel branches off the tree to make room for a gentile branches to be attached in, because I'm going to bear fruit among the nations, not just Israel. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, Do not boast against the branches. Don't say, oh, look at that. We're better than those guys that were broken. No, we're all children of mercy. Children of mercy. Children of mercy, that's what you are, Hunter. A child of mercy. You too, Doug. You too, David. Child of mercy. Me too. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. If you're going to boast, boast in God, not you. Ah, yes, I was a little bit smarter than those Jewish fellows, and I understood I heard the gospel, and I understood it was true, and those those dummies didn't. And, no, stop it. <laughs> stop it. The Redeemer stepped in, and you were added to the trunk, and you are now bearing fruit to God. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So, worship the root, not yourself. You will say then, well, wait a minute. Oh, whoa, 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 Paul. Branches were broken off that I might be rafted in. I, th- I think that shows that I'm kind of a special guy if God did that. Uh, well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. What is, well, how much virtue do you have to have to exercise faith? None. All you have to do is hold out an empty hand. You can hold out a dirty empty hand, but holding out an empty hand is what God asks of us. Have enough faith to stretch out your empty hand, and I'll fill it. We'll say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Be very careful. Don't magnify yourself, magnify God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Always walk with reverence and fear. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you, goodness. Say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Goodness, Lord, your goodness. That's what I thank you for. You're good, you're good. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. And of course, we see Jewish people coming to faith in Christ. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more with those how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Don't boast against them, just be grateful and humble. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, this mystery, this secret. This is a secret, and in, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he expands on this mystery, this secret called the church. For I do not want, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The day is coming. And it's called the Rapture, when the Church is going to be yanked out of here, and God is going to turn again to Israel, and speak to them through prophets. And that day, when that day comes, it's called the first day of the seven-year Great tribula- of the seven-year Tribulation, and that's when two prophets show up in the temple precincts in Jerusalem by the name of Elijah and Moses the two witnesses and they will have the testimony of Elijah and Moses to the nation for I do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in And so all Israel will be saved. There is a kingdom promise already in the Hebrew Scriptures that Israel is an eternal people, an eternal nation that will abide eternally before this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That day is coming. And we're going to pick up with uh, chapter 11 and verse 28. Next time, I'm having mercy on you. And so the mind cannot absorb more than the sea can endure. And so uh, I'm waiting to be blessed. Our Lord we want to thank you for shepherding us into your presence so we could see your your plan you have made known to us more than we need to know because you want we are your Your children, we're not just your servants, we are your children, and you want us to see the wisdom of our Father. Lord, we are asking that you will enable us to walk in step with you according to your wisdom, according to your plan in this world, not to become haughty, but humble, and seek for ways in which we can be useful to you In your enterprise, your gospel enterprise, your evangelism enterprise, your growth enterprise in this world. We ask that in this week, you will give to each of us an opportunity to speak the gospel to someone else who needs to hear it that Jesus of Nazareth is the Redeemer. He paid sin's penalty for the human race. And all we need to do to receive that benefit is hold out that empty hand, have enough faith to stretch out our empty hand and say to you, may I please have that benefit too? And your uniform answer is yes, yes, yes. Lord, we ask for that opportunity this week for each of us, all to your glory and praise and their redemption. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand.